Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well whenever and wherever you're listening to this. Just a heads up, so this is the second episode of our review of the amazing documentary The Last Dance, which follows the Chicago Bulls, one of the best dynasty sports teams pretty much in history. Even if you're not the biggest basketball fan, which I am not, you would have heard of Michael Jordan. Some of you are wearing Jordans on your feet right now. This episode covers his career, some of the amazing attributes that he has, and even some of the weaknesses and pitfalls that he demonstrated. So I really hope you enjoy it. If you haven't checked out the first episode, check that out and then come back to this one. But yeah, let's get into it. Sorry guys, one more thing. Uh, if you tuned into last week's episode, you would have noticed that Afalabi had some challenges with his audio. That hasn't changed for this week. Unfortunately, we're stuck with it for one more episode. But stay tuned because he's got some serious gems as usual. Jordan. The man, the myth, the legend. Going into this, I'd know... I'd, I'd already been aware of who Michael Jordan was. I wasn't the biggest basketball fan, but I watched games and I watched modern basketball. And I know that there was conversation about Michael Jordan being the GOAT. And I've seen some clips of him play. But it's interesting because even at my age, I'm 30 years old, I never really got to experience Michael Jordan at his prime. When he was playing, I was not even 10 years old. I was seven or eight. And as a result, there was only a legend about who he was and what he was capable of. Um, So the conversations about, you know, who's better, LeBron James or um, MJ, were serious debates for me because LeBron James is an amazing player who I've been able to experience myself. Michael Jordan was more of a myth. And it reminded me of, you know, when you watch football and you see Maradona play and and you go, they're good, but I don't know. You know, Messi would spin him. Messi would spin him three or four times. Um, And even when it comes to comedians, if you look at modern day comedians versus the comedians of the 80s and you hear about the likes of Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor, you go, they are good, but like the, the, the comedians today have evolved the sport so so much so that if they were doing what they they did, I'm not sure. I don't think they would I don't think they could hold up. My, Michael Jordan's not that guy. I ultimate I I completely believe that if Michael Jordan was playing today at his prime, he would have been the he would be the best player in the league. Like watching him, watching him play then, and converting that into twenty twenties, I think he would still be the Michael Jordan that we all know. Which I think is really hard to say because I don't know many athletes that you can say are still that prolific in their winning, so much so that you know that they would compete in a modern game and win. And. That's who Michael Jordan is. That's who he was. He was a beast. He was a competitor. He was one-track-minded. Winning is all that matters to me. And there are so many instances where, 
where, where you delve into that and go, this guy only cares about winning. I'll stop there. I want to get your thoughts at this stage. Yeah, because I, I really want us to speak about his psyche because his psyche is almost, if not, no, his he's, psyche is far more fascinating than his physical ability. He's a psychopath. He is a psychopath. <laughs> I will say that up. He is nuts. He's Anyway, continue. Michael Jordan, um, the greatest, without a shadow of a doubt. What really humbled me was how everyone spoke about him. Yes, this was a Chicago Bulls documentary, but it was heavily about Michael Jordan, and it had to be. There was no way it couldn't because of who he was as a player. He made them what they were. But when you looked at the elite players that he played with and how they looked up to him, you realised that he was in a different stratosphere, a cut above. I'm talking about the Magic Johnsons. I'm talking about the Kobe Bryants when he spoke about him. The instances where he's playing in all-star games as an, an older man who's had hiatuses and got bored of the sport and is still the most valuable player the most technically gifted, the most efficient player on the court. It shouldn't be possible. It shouldn't be possible for an elite athlete to leave the sport for two years, to retrain their body to play a very different sport, to come back and to still boss it. That should not be possible in elite sport. No. But when you are truly gifted, and when you have the psyche of someone who is a winner, it's the norm. And his normal was just ridiculous. It was the humility in people's speech when they spoke about him. About, oh man, okay, you, you got Michael. You got Michael mad. Why, why did you do Why did why you did say you that? Let's get into the psyche. Let's get into the psyche. So, so let's... My favourite episode... No, go, 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 go for it. Dig in. My favourite episode about the psyche was when... I can't remember his name. There were, there, were more than, there were multiple instances where it was apparent that Michael Jordan would have to sometimes psych himself up to give a little bit extra. So he would create narratives of someone saying something to offend him or someone doing something to offend him. So he had something to fight for, which is definitely psychopathic. It, it's, it's not logical. But what it did show is that if he wanted it more than you, it was his. So I think you it's might be referring to in one of the instances when he was playing against a guy called LeBradford Smith. That's it. That's it. And that was Washington Bullets. So they were playing uh, two matches back to back with a team called Washington Bullets. And they played a home game and then they played... Uh, no, so they, I think they played the, both games... Um, away. Neutral grounds. No, I think it was in Washington. I could be wrong, but the the first game, the Bulls lost, and Michael Jordan was just not in his A game. He was trying hard, and there was an upstart called LeBradford Smith who was playing his butt off. He did exceptionally well, um, and then there were comments about Michael Jordan feeling slighted because LeBradford Smith. Gave him a tap on the shoulder after the first game and said, nice game, Mike. 
The next game, which I believe was the next day, or it was definitely not soon after, Michael Jordan proceeded to smash the Washington Bullets to pieces. I think he scored over 50 points that game, which is very hard to do. He was bossing the entire game, ripping them to shreds. And the, the argument was that you offended Michael Jordan. You offended Michael Jordan and therefore he is going to rip you apart. It turns out that that nice game Mike comment never happened. It didn't happen. But somehow Michael Jordan got it in his head that that was a comment that this young player gave him and therefore he was determined. It never happened. He just needed something to spark that, that fire inside of him. And he would make stuff up. There were like he would make up feuds. There was one occasion where he was uh, in a restaurant, uh, and the opposing the opposing team's coach was in the same restaurant and there and didn't acknowledge him. And because he didn't acknowledge him, that was the fuel that Michael used to 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 trash his team to pieces. Uh, there was another player who played for the Phoenix Suns. His name was Dan Marley, and Jerry Krause was actually interested in recruiting him. And Jerry Krause, I believe, made comments, something along the lines of, this is the next Michael Jordan. So what do you think Michael Jordan did during that, <laughs> that, that next game? He, con- he bullied this guy. He, and the, the problem is, is that he didn't do anything to deserve this. This guy was just playing his game. But Michael Jordan, because Jerry Krause made an indication that he wanted this guy on his team... Michael Jordan made it his mission to make this guy's life a living hell. I'll give you one, one more, which I just think was d- just indicative of who this person is. And also how, how he, in some instances, can be an effective team player, even if it has some quite cynical, uh, dubious results. Tony Kukoc. So, I was thinking about him. Paul to- Kukoc. Paul Kukoc. He was Ukrainian, I believe. And... I'll, I'll paint the picture that Kukoc was grew up in uh, dur- during the times of the uh, Soviet Union. He lived in wartime Ukraine, and he was offered an NBA uh, role. He was offered an NBA career quite early on in his basketball years, but he actually turned it down because he didn't want to be seen as somebody who was disappearing, running away from the challenges of war-torn Ukraine. So he stayed in Ukraine for longer than he, he needed to in order to help his family, support his, his, his friends, etc. He then went on to the Olympics where he would come face-to-face with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And Jerry Krause was keen to actually sign Kukoc, as a replacement for Pippin. That was all Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippin needed to make this guy's life. Personal vendetta. It was a personal vendetta. Now, mind you, the US basketball Olympics team is almost always by far the best basketball team in the Olympics. By a country mile. It's not even close. It's embarrassing. So, it... as. As a result, you see a lot of their, the players taking their foot off the pedal, understandably. 
They don't go in for the heavy challenges. They're not as physical because why would I injure myself when the stakes just aren't as high? We don't need to pull full throttle in order to win these games. That wasn't the case in this match against Ukraine. The Chicago Bulls, led by Pippin and Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan especially, proceeded to whip this guy's ass. It was embarrassing. And it's funny because they... um. They interviewed Kukoc at the time and he he just looked so confused. He's like, oh, I just thought we were going to come and play basketball. You know, to me, I just thought, you know, I was just going to come and play a game. I don't know why they did this to me. Um, but that isn't to say that Kukoc was a victim because, as I said, he lived in war-torn Ukraine. He came back uh, to for the finals and demonstrated that you can't knock me around. But that's a, that's a different story for another day. But this is just to demonstrate that the vendettas, the level of competitiveness that Michael Jordan had was on a different level. And why is that important? I think that's important as a lesson for us because we now live in a society where competitiveness is almost seen as a taboo. If somebody has a competitive streak, that's seen as a negative and seen as something which you need to, to get out of your your character you know we we live in a time with participation trophies etc and this was just a different time and as much as you as a entrepreneur as a as a business owner would like to be collaborative with everybody in your industry you need to be aware that there are companies who want to stand on your head there are companies who want to destroy everything that you have and dance on your grave there are companies who will, who will implement deceptive, uh, immoral practices in order to take market share away from you. Me and you, I feel like you're experiencing that right now. So yes. if you're not willing to rip somebody's heart out, who's willing to take your, your crown from you, then you're going to be handing your crown over. It's as simple as that. So that competitive streak, we've seen how beneficial it has been for the likes of the Bulls and Michael Jordan. In any profession, in any industry, being competitive and wanting to be at the top, wanting to win, is going to be part of, is going to be core to your success. But it does have its downsides. It's, it's definitely what set him apart. When I think about his early years and the interview with his brother when his brother said I was better than him for a whole two weeks mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you realise why that was and how Jordan desperately yearned for affirmation from his father during the documentary there's the subplot between the relationship between him and his father and then him and his senior bodyguard and it was very clear that he was a family orientated man he loved his father deeply. He listened to what his father said. And he wanted that relationship to forever be was positive. They did everything together. But his father's earlier rebuke of you're not good enough drove him to compete. Drove him to compete to be better than his brother. And then drove him to compete to not take that initial knockdown of not making his high school team which was the early legend. When we were growing up, we always heard about Michael Jordan didn't even make his high school team. 
which is an amazing narrative in itself. But that competitiveness stuck with him in everything. And it's why he is a billionaire. That competitiveness wasn't just in the game of basketball, but in the game of cards. Remember the episodes where they're playing cards on a flight to a championship game and they are betting thousands um, just so that they can beat another. And he's tired of playing with the people at the front. So he goes to the guys at the back who are putting down $1 bills. These are still millionaires, by the way. And they're like, why do you want to play with us? And his response, as a true psychopath, <laughs> is so that I can take your dollar and put it in my pocket. He did this thing where when new rookies joined the Chicago Bulls, he would buy them golf clubs and the rookies would think, oh, this is a really nice present from Michael Jordan. Nah, brother, this guy wanted you on the golf court or golf, golf, whatever it's called. Um, so he could take your money. Now that is truly diabolical. The competition was crazy. And some people think, well, was he that money orientated? I don't think it was the money. It was winning. I, I, it was winning. When we look at the deal that he signed with Nike and he explained his aspirations for joining Adidas because they were the leaders, but he didn't get that deal with Adidas. He got it with Nike and they were willing to really champion him and create his own sneakers. That's a whole episode in itself. It is. The, the impact that Jordan had on Nike. But anyway, his championing of them was phenomenal. Mm. His refusal to be seen in the Reebok-sponsored Olympic kit because he knew who Jordan was and refused to allow Reebok to benefit from Jordan name. His promotion of the Jordan sneaker brand, like in the last two months, I've seen Jordans everywhere once again because you've got a generation who already loved Jordans but didn't really know who he was but I'm now wearing the Jordan Classics. It's crazy. My, my brother bought Jeremiah, my son, a pair. They're too big. He can't wear them for another year or so. People are wearing the Classics, like these 94, 95 Jordans. And you think, he took that dogged determination to out-train everyone else into the corporate environment where he's going to out-market everyone else. I'm, I'm sorry, I, my mind's just taking me to Disney. The Disney, can we please speak about the Disney camp? Go for it. Now, these are personal lessons for me. This is Jordan coming back after filming Space Jam, a film that many of us watched when we were younger, remember loving it. I might watch it again at some point. And he realized, okay, for him to come back to his peak, after that hiatus of playing basketball, he's filming Space Jam, this is during off season, he knows that he needs to train. He's come back and he's not sharp, he's sluggish. And he makes a request. Okay, I will film this Disney film if you put a court on set. Okay, fine. Then when they show the court and it's like, whoa, they actually built a dome for this man. Full gym, full court. Not realizing that he was gonna send out invites to every elite basketballer to come and play from 7 to 10 p.m. after filming for the last 10 hours. He's filming throughout the whole day, shots after shots after shots, and then playing three hours straight. And you see in the recordings them sweating. This is off season. 
but he's using this strategically as an opportunity to analyze the new up-and-comers, to improve his fitness, to assess the skill set of those who were his peers previously. Where are they now? What are they doing now? That is someone who's more than just an athlete. And I think if you want to be truly great, you have to study. In every episode, it's a key reoccurring theme. Study your environment. Know the data. Who is around you that you can gather knowledge and information from? Who is sharpening your sword? That, for me, it, it just put him above everyone else. Because I don't know how many would have been willing to do that at that stage in their career. He could easily have said, well, I'm filming this for another stream of income. The season will happen. If we win, we win. If we don't, we don't. I've done enough already. I've got three or four championships. I'm going to go down as the greatest. The conversation as to whether he's the greatest or not isn't a conversation for me. Because he could have had eight or nine. If you think about the two years he's out, the premature retirement, I'm counting eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a conversation. Kobe Bryant, brilliant. LeBron James, one exceptional. Jordan, I think once in a lifetime there just comes someone who's phenomenally gifted. You just got to accept as being gifted. As and then you're on race. As you said it, you know, his peers at the time, some of the people who are arguably the best who've ever played the game, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Patrick Hewitt, they looked at him in awe. Um, Larry Bird once said when he was playing in the Celtics, he played a game where the Celtics beat the Chicago Bulls. And he his, his quote about Michael Jordan, who went on to score, I think, 60 in a game, was that wasn't a man on the pitch. That was God disguised as a man on the pitch. Larry Bird, who's one of the winningest, winningest uh, NBA players of all time and a successful coach, somebody who was a legend in himself, had to step back and go, yeah, this guy is something different. Magic Johnson, when, he, when the LA Lakers lost to the Chicago Bulls, said, if I'm going to lose, I'm glad I lost to the best. And this is somebody who was arguably seen as the best, who would actually put his hat up and say, or put his, put his hand up and say, this guy's better than me. Um, obviously, we have to remember that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were at the ends of their career at the time when you know, Michael Jordan was at the beginning. But still, they still acknowledge the fact that this guy is better than me and potentially better than I ever was. Um, you mentioned two things that I need to delve into. You just got me gassed. I don't know how long this episode is going to go for. It could quite comfortably go for forever. But two points that I want to talk about based on what you just said is determination and business acumen. I'm going to start off with business acumen just because some of the points I think are really key. The Reebok negotiation demonstrates that this guy understood the value of his brand. Yes. He understood what happens when you dilute your brand or you are seen to work with anybody. He was a Nike ambassador. He was a Nike business partner. And therefore, he was not willing to negotiate, to supplement his brand by involving other players who, or other uh, companies who could potentially take away from his power. He didn't do it. And a very subtle gesture by covering the Reebok logo of his... Um, Olympics outfit with an American flag shows you that not only was he was he business savvy, 
but he also had very good social awareness. What, what element of clothing or what item can I use to cover the Reebok flag, which is going to have no complaints from the American public? Master stroke. The other thing I'll say is timing. It's no coincidence when this documentary came out. This documentary yes. came out at a time when everybody was at home, right at the beginning of the lockdown period. E ESPN actually brought this documentary forward. It wasn't due to come out when it did, but they saw a period where, okay, well, this is a time when we've got all of the eyes on it. Now, so many people are starting to question the nature of MJ. We need to remind them of just how amazing he was. Let's get him at a point where everybody's at home. There is no sport. That's the key thing. There's no sport on television at all because we're all on lockdown and we're all concerned about coronavirus. So how do we engage those sports fans, those people who are itching for some competition? Let's give them some nostalgia or let's give them something that demonstrates just how amazing a sports person this one individual that everybody is aware of knows. And the other thing I'll say about this, this um, documentary is that it was a giant Jordan advertisement. The Jordan trainers, the Jordan sneakers, as a result of this advert, have shot up in success, in performance. And as you've already mentioned, the Jordan 1s, the basic Jordans, are rising again in popularity. And I think the key lesson there is if you're an entrepreneur, there is power to having a human face to your brand. There is power to having a human face to your brand. And we can just see that if people love you, that they will invest in, in you. And Jordan wasn't necessarily the most likable guy, but there's something about what he represents that just resonates with people. So that's business acumen. The next thing is determination. And you mentioned Space Jam, when he was shooting on the set of Space Jam and he had a court built for him to bring on various different players so that he could gauge their talent and get himself back up to speed. There are so many examples in this documentary of how this person's determination was just a level above everyone else's. I'll start off with one which I think is amazing and I think is a great metaphor. While Jordan was playing the Phoenix Suns in one of the championships, I think it might have been the third championship. So this was a championship that would have gotten them their first three-peat, so first three championships in a row. Um, they were playing the Phoenix Suns and there were two games left. Normally you play best of, I think, best of three, best of five, best of seven. So if you... If, if you can beat them in five, then you win. If you beat them in three, you win. Um, in this instance, they, they had played five games and there was still not a, uh, a deciding winner. So there were two more games to play. And both of those games were going to be in Phoenix. Now, Jordan, in front of his entire team, knowing that they had to play two games, knowing that they would be doing press conferences for two games, knowing that they would be expected to be in uh, Phoenix for two games, said to the rest of his team, I'm only packing one suit. 
And I love that because awesome. that, that demonstrates his mindset. That demonstrates the way he approaches the game and the way he approaches his own ability, which is I'm not going to give myself any excuse to lose. And you cannot. And neither can, neither can To state you. that openly, he refuses to accept anyone bringing less than 100. I'm taking one suit. Do not make me have to buy another one. Brilliant. The other example I'll raise, which just highlights his just psychopathic nature, is flu game, which mm. is a hashtag in itself. This guy went to a hotel before a game and ordered pizza before a match. You could argue that this shows you how different the times are, because nowadays everybody who is an elite athlete has a nutrition. Uh, a nutritionist who makes all of their meals and makes sure that they're eating good food. Now, he ordered pizza at like one o'clock in the morning. And while he ordered pizza, I think five people came to deliver that one pizza, all trying to peek in to see who it was that they delivered the pizza to. He ate all of that pizza and the next game, this guy was a mess. He had food poisoning. There, was, there were people who uh, assumed that he might have had the flu, um, he just, his eyesight was blurry. He was sweating profusely. He looked ill. He looked tired. And this guy went on to play an amazing game. He didn't want to be subbed off. He didn't want to leave the court. He literally sweated on that pitch. He puddles of sweat as he continued to play. And he made the difference in that game. And we see memes now of footballers getting the, the slightest tackle and rolling half the pitch uh, into the arms of their, their first aider. This guy had some severe illness and was still keen to absolutely die on the court if it was necessary. So that level of determination is just, he's just different. And the other fact I'll just highlight there is once he returned from retirement, so he went away, played baseball for a bit, and then um, returned to the Chicago Bulls, and then went on to win three championships in a row again. He played every single one of those games. So for three years, he did not miss a single game. And, and that, that can't be because he's just that much of an amazing physical specimen. There has to be something mental behind that, which is even if I'm not 100%, I'm getting on that court because I know I can make the difference. And the lesson there is, is, is so self-evident for anybody who's trying to make a business work, which is you have to play to win. You have to play and you have to play hard. If you're only putting in half the work, then don't be surprised if you get little to no results at the end. And I don't, the court. I don't think anybody exemplifies that as much as he does. It's sobering because I think anyone who wishes to start a business or propel a business has to watch this documentary and they have to ask themselves the question, how close am I to having that level of determination? Not do I, because none of us do. No one does. <laughs> none of us do. But how close am I? So then you can gauge where you are and what is necessary. There are too many off-seasons. 
there are too many excuses, there are too many instances where actually you or I are the ones who are actually holding our business behind. When I say the business will never be greater than you, I do not say it to critique anyone, but I say it to challenge myself. He knew that the Chicago Bulls would never actually be greater than him. The truth is in the pudding. They haven't. So if they were to win, he had to bring his A-game every time. And that is not arrogant, because remember, we're speaking about elite athletes who are all paid millions because they are the best in their nation. Some of them, an influx of Europeans who came, the blessed in the world. But he still has to be the best. Yeah, something you said really resonated with me and it links to a uh, a statement which I'm holding on to at the moment and it, it relates to a lot of things but the statement is in order to create something good you have to be great or in order to create something good you have to be better um, one one good illustration of this is the fact that I think I've mentioned this in a previous podcast you cannot create a character like a fictional character smarter than you are so if you want to create a fictional character who's brilliant and who's wise and has so many pearls of wisdom in either a novel or a screenplay all of that wisdom is coming from you so in order for you to create a brilliant character you have to be better that's Arthur Conan Doyle and and um, Sherlock Holmes in order to create a character as brilliant as Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle had to be so much smarter. Um, what I would like to reassure people of is that they don't need to be a Michael Jordan. And I would argue yeah. that you shouldn't try and be a Michael Jordan because I think we've spent a lot of time in awe of this guy, but we can see that his sheer determination his perspective on life has downfalls. And as a result, he has suffered. He has suffered with his relationships. One thing which was really interesting is, I can't remember the name of him, but it was his personal assistant. So every once in a while, they would cut to Michael Jordan's personal assistant. And that's exactly what was underneath the title. You know when they've got like the, the subtitle underneath who this person was? It said, personal assistant slash best friend. And that's what it that's takes <laughs> to get to where Michael Jordan was. It demonstrates just how limited his environment was. It limited his social sphere was. Everything he did was dedicated to his 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 pursuit of of greatness we 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 saw so many former teammates and former opponents talk about michael jordan we didn't get any friends we didn't get any neighbors we didn't get his children we didn't get his wife none of those people had anything to say the cost is he's divorced yeah. she got hundreds of millions mm, yeah the cost is he does have i think three kids who only feature at the very end the cost is there are no friends there other than 
employees or colleagues. And so that's the question that you have to ask yourself is, where is the balance? Do I want that experience? You know, he had a huge house. Look how big his house was, but it was empty. And he epitomizes beast mode. Yes. It stays in the obvious, but it's only just struck me now that he, we've all been there and we all thought that we've done it, but we haven't when we, when we look at Jordan. That is true beast mode. Agreed. Never switched off. So there's a lesson there. There's a lesson to find the balance and to understand that sometimes you need to go hard, but at the same time you need to you you need to understand that the pursuit that you're that that you're chasing is only a small element of the entire human experience. And you could argue yes. that in other areas, the likes of LeBron James, the likes of Larry Bird, the likes of um, Kobe Bryant, they won because they had successful lives, careers outside of basketball. Kobe Bryant, um, he created the Mamba Academy. He had great relationship with his kids. Um, he encouraged his daughters to play basketball. And to all intensive purposes, he was a lot happier he won an Oscar. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we, we lost him. But he, we lost him at a time when he was he was in a helicopter because he was trying to get to see one of his... No, he was trying to get home after seeing one of his daughter's basketball matches. Larry Bird had a successful coaching career. LeBron James happily married, built a school, created a school for hundreds of underprivileged children and has a lot of good friends, seems to be very well kind of supported socially and as a result is a lot happier. So yeah, I think the lesson there is Yes, you need to pursue greatness if it fulfills you, but you should also be looking at the entirety of the human experience, which is friends, family, faith, physical health, mental health. It all needs to factor into what it means to be happy. Because even though arguably Michael Jordan is the best player to ever grace a basketball court, most people would rather be LeBron James. They would. Valuable lessons. He is a truly fascinating character. One who we haven't seen the last of because his mind is most definitely his greatest asset. And thus, he is most definitely going to bring new and exciting and initiative and projects of the world. But I do hope he has started to enjoy life more. Or created a success criteria. Actually, I take that back. Because potentially that is his success criteria. If he can honestly say to himself that his success criteria is merely to win and for anything that he is associated to to be the best, 
um, sports-wise or business-wise, then he's achieving that. I don't know, man. I see a but, sadness in his eyes. And you know, he has had he has had a lot of trauma. He lost his father at a young age. Um, but there was even a point where I think he was responding to some of his team members explaining just how difficult it was to work with Michael Jordan. And he he broke down. He actually broke down into tears yeah. explaining that they were upset with me for pushing them so hard, but they were happy when we won championships. I think this is the psychology. My question is, why did he feel he had to win as much as he did? Because mm. the beast mode always goes back to the why. Identify why the person is doing it and you'll realise what is propelling them. I genuinely think it was those formative years with his father. He saw the impact of his father's death on his game. And he had to almost replace that figure with someone else. Mm. But it was already ingrained that he had to win. And he always won because he knew his dad was watching. Mm. so to those listening and to us why are we trying to win I know offline Abby and I have had quite philosophical conversations about where we are right now in life and how actually we have achieved most if not all of what we set out to so it's really important that we explicitly identify why we are doing what we are doing now which is one of the reasons why I've been having very introspective philosophical debates with myself as to what's next. And I think many listening have done that due to lockdown. Our lives have been thrown in front of us and we've had to assess how we actually live. And do we wish to go back to that pace once lockdown ceases? It looks like we've, we've gone full circle because I think I'll close by just highlighting something that my, my missus, my partner said to me, um, earlier this 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 week, she she asked me what was my mission statement. Now we are trying to be forward thinking in terms of marriage and family, etc. So we built a min- mission statement and a charter for our family. We've highlighted what we want our family to represent: honesty, loyalty, um, hard work. Um, but she asked me, what is your mission statement? And I've got a long list of rules that I follow. I've got a set of values that I, that I hold on to. But if I was going to summarize my mission statement in a sentence that was readily available at the tip of my tongue, I don't know what that would be. And arguably putting a mission statement in place for your own personal life, something which all of your other behaviours, all of your other endeavours are linked to, I think is absolutely valuable. And that then becomes your success criteria. So... It's a valuable lesson from Kobe's Seven Habits. I remember writing one, forgetting it. So this is prompting me to actually go back to it. I believe it's being lived out, but it's important to actually go back to check whether it is. It should be written down. And you're absolutely right. Um, it's, it's something that you can embody. It's something that you can feel, but it should also be something that you articulate. And it should be the foundation for all of the actions going forward. And I think as long as you have that, and as long as you understand what's important to you, not just from a career or a professional standpoint, but ultimately what will make you happy, 
um, it's absolutely key. Um, we had a, an episode with a very good friend of ours not too long ago. And she said that for her, what was important was being able to live in multiple different countries, being able to plant a scotch bonnet bush. And she, she made a very interesting statement and didn't go into detail, but she said, it's not the fact that I can grow my own scotch bonnets, it's what that represents. And there's an intrinsic understanding of all of the other freedoms, all of the other values that being able to do something like that represents. And I think it's so important for us all to do that so we don't get lost in the source and we don't go down a road to, to productivity. Um, even during lockdown, we're so obsessed with productivity, we're so obsessed with uh, adding value, etc., that we don't necessarily look after our mental health. So having that mission statement means that we can potentially reap some of the successes of, of a Michael Jordan and walk away with less of the downside. brother that was another episode of expensive lessons to all of the people that were happy that we were cutting down our episodes to just over an hour sorry uh this one ran over but i have no apologies listen to it in two halves or listen to it in three however many chunks you want to listen to it let us be part of your daily experience listen to 10 minute chunks if you have to I, I can't apologize. We could have done another hour of this. So easily. If if you're upset with the length, um, yeah, just we'll, we'll try. We'll try and do better next week. We will cut it down, uh, but this easily could have gone on for another two hours. Um, and almost apologies to those who have watched the last dance because there's so much we've had to cut out. There are so many lessons, and it's a documentary which I think in time will become a classic in itself and will be revisited and studied. So there's so much to it. There will be a... I think there will be... Oh, I don't know. I was going to say there will be a motion picture about his life. But I don't know whether it's necessary. You could butcher that. I think there, there are instances where some characters, people steer away from because you have to do it right if you did a motion picture about Michael Jackson's life you're more likely to get it wrong than you are to get it right and the same will be said about Michael Jordan if the documentary does enough but if you are going to put a motion picture in play you have to ensure that he himself is an executive director of it for authenticity because people will be able to tell we don't want it to be full of cheap thrills it doesn't have to be full of drugs, sex, and alcohol every 15 minutes. But we want the real. And what the documentary offered us was the real. Yeah, I just, I feel like the modern, modern technology, social media, documentaries, etc., that we have almost are going to lead to the death of the biopic. It's interesting to cover the life of Elvis Presley at a time where his every movement wasn't documented, at a time when we can't access his his um his experiences during different periods um so so having a biopic kind of brings that to life we've got michael jordan here right now telling his own story and he's got his own social media platforms etc that he can use to get directly to the people 
I think if a TV program of his life came out, I would be very nervous to watch it. I think it would be disingenuous. Yeah. The beauty of this is that it was recorded over 20 years ago. Not roughly 20 years ago. And the recording was kept. Um, as you mentioned previously, the power of timing. Jordan did not allow this to be released. This was ready to go over a year ago. But he chose for it not to be released. Why? Not completely sure. But the moment in which lockdown occurred was prime time. Pulled the trigger. Time will tell. I'm sure this isn't the last story that we're going to hear. I'm sure I, I, I'm sure some of the people who maybe didn't get that much of a, a word in during the documentary are going to want to tell their own story. I hear Jerry Krause is, has, has uh, written a book. So we will be able to delve into that entire Last Dance story from his perspective. I'm very keen. I'm very keen to see what other lessons we can draw from this story because I think it's so so vivid, so detailed and such a comprehensive account of success, hard work, determination and teamwork. And for those who are villainizing him, I, I want to usher a, an ounce of caution. Um, similar to the, the proverb of the he who's about sin cast the first stone, Jordan was flawed, but we all are. But if you just hold on to that scene where he's watching his teammates critique him and he's expressing, but it was me pushing you which helped you to get what you want, you see a vulnerable side of him. You see how he was willing to do what others weren't for what everyone wanted. And sometimes when you do that, you can't win. So what is the cost and are people willing to actually pay it? And that's the question which I want everyone to think about post this podcast. What is the cost of what you actually want? We started with my wife and the cost of what she wants. And are people actually willing to pay it? And if you're not, that's okay. But be rest assured that you made that decision and life didn't impose that decision upon you. Amen. Brother, let's call it call it quits before we hit two hours and we get Best people up. telling us off. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, uh, audience, for listening. Looking forward to next week where we'll have another guest who can share some of their experiences with us. And yes. yeah, we're, we're very keen to, to continue to, con- to continue to have the conversation, to continue to get your insight and yeah, really just share the lessons that we're learning. So if you've got any points that you want to share, get in touch with us and keep the conversation going. Have a great week. Please. Take care of yourselves. And yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Afalabi, last word. Thank you. Uh, please do. If you know of a company director or owner who you wish for us to get in contact with, that you'd love to hear their story, um, let us know. Uh, comment on the Instagram. DM us on the Instagram. Follow the Instagram. This is the podcast where company directors share their expensive lessons, not from a position of superiority, but honest conversation. Thanks for listening again, and we'll be here next week. Peace. Take care all.